The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray as you remain standing. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. Father, make yourself known to us this morning, we ask. Teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please, won't you take your seats? As a number of you know or sometimes can hear and pick up, uh, we moved to the United States about nine months ago now. We're just getting ready for our first summer here in Raleigh. We've been told we're in for a treat. One of the, one of the hardest adjustments about coming here has actually been a, li- a linguistic one. It's been a language one. And within that, one of the difficult things has been all of the abbreviations and acronyms that are used here that we have had to learn that we've had to stop people mid-sentence and say, what are you referring to? Things like IB and AP and IRS and, I'm just kidding, we know that one. (laughs) I don't know if you've uh, had to send some text messages this morning to uh, moms or mom-in-laws, but uh, the text message thread has really introduced a whole nother world of abbreviations. Things like IDK, B-R-B, L-O-L, L-M-K, R-O-F-L, rolling on the floor laughing. And one that I think has really come to mark the age that we live in, YOLO. You only live once. When I was growing up, it was uh, you are only young once, and then you kind of turn 30 and have to uh, be responsible. But now it's you only live once. And I wonder whether or not that's something that even we as Christians have bought into, that we only live once. As Paul walks us through the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he doesn't cry out YOLO, he cries out YOLT. You only live twice. 
Here is the announcement, the announcement that comes from reliable witnesses in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Jesus appeared to Peter, to the other disciples, to over 500, and eventually to Paul himself. The witness and announcement from reliable witnesses, the testimony that is borne by Christian people down the centuries, many of whom are here this morning, that God did raise Jesus from the dead. And now in this section of 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 20, Paul moves into talking about the consequences of this truth, the reality of this truth. And I do want to assure you this morning that the Bible never asks you to believe anything that is not true. I am mindful that we are talking about resurrection, I am mindful that it is not part of our normal experience in this world. And yet Paul begins, but in fact, verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead. And as you hear that announcement that God raised Jesus from the dead, a declaration of that which has already happened, it really leaves us having to make a decision for ourselves, do we believe it or don't we? And by all means, I would encourage you this morning to think about this, to question this, to investigate this. But as Paul rolls forward this teaching, he really says to us that we can't not make a decision about where we stand on it. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not something that just happened way back in history. It is an event that has gigantic consequences and it is an event that guarantees those consequences. Its consequences are spelled out for us as we continue to work our way through. Come with me to verse 20 again. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, here then, firstly, we notice that this victory of the resurrection is assured. Uh, that Jesus is the guarantee and that he is the first of many. Uh, the first fruit metaphor that Paul uses here, it's derived from the Old Testament, and it's the idea that uh, the first portion of a crop, uh, the firstborn amongst a flock of sheep, is offered in thanksgiving to God. Uh, that offering uh, is a pledge of who it belongs to, but also more than that, of what is yet to come. Here are the first fruits of a plentiful harvest. The first fruits guarantee what is next. Uh, they're connected to a much larger group, a much larger harvest, many more offspring. And so Paul's use of this metaphor here is really Jesus has been raised as the first and as the representative of many to follow in his line. He goes on to say that the resurrection of Jesus is actually like the sin of Adam. Adam sinned and rebelled against God, and those consequences are still with us. Our normal experience of life, our natural experience of life, is that everyone dies. 
I'm mindful that there are those sitting amongst us who have recently suffered that experience as they've lost a loved one. People here who still live in light of that death to someone that was so close to them and the crushing unnaturalness and tyranny of that death. That is the normal experience of life. The consequence of Adam's sin is that death reigns throughout the human race. But Paul says here that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and the consequences affect every single one of us. Adam sinned, we all die. For those who belong to Jesus, they will be raised from the dead. What Paul seems to be saying here is that the resurrection, your resurrection, if you are, belong to Jesus, uh, the resurrection that is a consequence of his resurrection is as certain as the death that is the consequence of Adam's rebellion. Now, I know that might not be something that sits easily with us. It's not something that's easy to understand or that we're even particularly comfortable with. It's not something that we find ourselves talking about or wanting to think too much about, but it is an unavoidable fact. In Adam, all die, but the promise is that in Jesus Christ, all will be raised. Your resurrection, your future resurrection, if you are in Christ, is absolutely guaranteed with Jesus Christ, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that is what I want you to know this morning and have certainty about. The second thing that we need to understand, verses 23 to 28, is that although the future is guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the battle is still raging around us. Yes, Jesus is the future king of all and everything, but there is a sequence of events that has to take place. Look with me at verse 23. But each in his own order. Our God is a God of order, and here is the order. First, Christ the firstfruits. Then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. The Apostle Paul is saying, this is inevitable. And we happen to be in a particular point in that sequence. From where we stand, Jesus' resurrection is in the past. Our resurrection is in the future. But both are equally certain. And Paul gives two reasons as to why we can know the certainty of that. Uh, firstly, he gives a theological reason that's tied to the first fruits. Uh, that the, the whole point of Paul's argument is that, uh, the, that our destiny is bound up in the destiny of Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, uh, the promise for all who are in him. Jesus' destiny is our destiny. Uh, the beginning guarantees the end because actually it recognizes that although his resurrection happened then and our resurrection will happen there, it's one and the same resurrection. The second reason we find in verse 25, the second reason for our certainty, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says 
all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Now, without unraveling all the details of those wonderful sentences, the resurrection of Jesus was the beginning. It guarantees the end. And can you see what the end is? The end is the destruction of death. Do you think death is ugly? It's ugly. Do you think it's unnatural? It's unnatural. God didn't create us to die. Do you think death is horrid and tragic? It is hard and tragic. It's terrifying and a terrible tyrant that we live under every day. And it is the purpose of God to do away with it. And the beginning of the doing away of it was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And God's perfect will will be completely accomplished. And it is absolutely certain because in actuality Christ has been raised from the dead. And that is the beginning. And when God begins something, he brings it to completion. We read Paul writing in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 that he is confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now all of this you might be saying, but Jason, I do believe in Jesus' resurrection. But what you need to understand is the nuance of the point that Paul is making here. It's not just about believing in Jesus' resurrection. It is about believing in your own physical bodily resurrection in the same way that Jesus was physically raised to a new body. That's why that was our New Testament reading, by the way, because Jesus had a body and Jesus ate and they saw him. That is what we look forward to as Christians. When you think about eternity, I don't know if you have these pictures of uh, little cherubs sitting on clouds with harps and that's what you think heaven's gonna be like. Well, you'll have to come back next week because we'll talk a little bit more about those bodies, but I want you to know that you will be raised with a real body, and that is something for you to look forward to. But it is also something that should motivate the way that we live in the present. Remember, we live in a particular period of time. Here is the sequence of events. Jesus was raised then, we will be raised there, but we have to live now. So what does all of this mean? What bearing does our resurrection have as we live now? And why is it that we should probably spend more time as Christians thinking about Jesus' resurrection and our own resurrection as we work out how to live and are motivated to live gospel-transformed lives in this present age? Well, Paul unpacks a little bit of that in verses 29 and following. It seems to me that Paul is setting his sights on the absurdity of a kind of Christianity that will not take seriously all of the truth and that will not work out the consequences of the truth. If you're taking notes and you need a third point for this section, it's the exposure of shallow Christianity that the resurrection brings. You see, such Christianity that doesn't take seriously the truth or work out its consequences is so full of inconsistencies that eventually those inconsistencies will be its own undoing. Paul is really 
And, and I want you to know, Paul is doing this, not me. Paul is really pushing his readers incredibly hard. He is really trying to shock them and provoke them to think about their lives in relation to the resurrection. He's intentionally doing this. And so in verse 29, he goes after uh, the baptism of the dead. Now, I know you all read that and you were like, I can't wait for Jason to get to verse 29 because I want to know all about that. And you're going to be really disappointed because I have no idea what Paul's talking about because it's not referenced anywhere else in the scriptures and we really know very little about it. And I can give you at least 20 ideas for why that exists and what exactly it was that was going on there. But whatever decision you come to, at best it's a guess. They were, and this is my best guess, they were doing something in Corinth that Paul describes as baptism of the dead. We don't know exactly how that worked, but it seems that, it seems that uh, some people, Christians, were getting baptized for other people who were Christians who had already died before they got baptized. That's probably the most likely scenario. But here's what I do know about this verse. What I do know is that what Paul is pointing out is whatever they were doing, it was inherently absurd. He's basically saying, by your actions, you are indicating that you do believe in life beyond death. By your actions, you do hold uh, some uh, measure of, of priority and value for the body. So you kind of say you don't believe in the physical bodily resurrection of the dead and so you can live however you want. And if you read through 1 Corinthians, you might want to do that this afternoon, you will find there was some crazy stuff going on there. They're living licentious lives. But Paul's saying then you get baptized on behalf of the dead. So you do believe in something in terms of resurrection and bodily life after death. So why do you carry on this practice? You sort of believe something, but you don't really know exactly what it is you believe. And there's an absurdity uh, and something that just doesn't match up. He goes on and he gets a little bit clearer and takes a second shot at them in verses 30 and 31. He says about himself, why are we in danger? I protest, brothers, uh, by, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, why is it that I take the future so seriously? This is Paul talking. Why is, it that I have, uh, why is it that I don't have all of my hopes and all of my dreams in this present life? Why am I not living YOLO? Uh, why is it that I'm prepared to give up all sorts of things in this life? Why is it that I'm prepared to risk my life for the sake of getting the gospel to people? Isn't my behavior absurd? Well, yes, it is. Unless there is a resurrection from the dead. If there isn't a resurrection from the dead, well then live it up, live for the moment, seize the day, dance like no one's watching, enjoy every possibility of fleeting pleasure that comes across your path, if that is all that life consists of. But no one who knows anything about God, about Jesus Christ, about what he has done for us can live like that. If we are living like that, then we need to watch out because we are demonstrating that whatever Christianity we supposedly hold to is no Christianity whatsoever. 
If we do not live for the moment, or, or sorry, we do not live for the moment. We live for the future. We live for the reality that God will raise the dead. We live for the reality that we have an eternity that lies ahead of us, and this is a brief, fleeting time on earth. And so Paul says, verse 33, come to your senses, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. What does it matter if this life is all there is? If you only live once, it wouldn't matter if this life is all that matters. But he says, wake up, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your Shame. Shallow Christianity will will produce a sinful life sooner or later in one way or another. It does not have the power to change us because shallow Christianity is no Christianity at all. Real Christianity is when the word of God has found good soil and takes root, when the word of God is being taken seriously and we recognize, yes, that God raised Jesus from the dead and we recognize that he is going to raise us from the dead and we live now for then because we live yolt, because you live knowing that you only live twice. And here then really is uh, the heart of the matter. Uh, Paul holding out the resurrection of the dead, which is the logical and necessary outcome of the already accomplished resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he says that, that resurrection, his and ours, is what gives this life meaning. It means that we can face whatever comes our way in this life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, because we believe in Jesus' resurrection and our own. And so let me ask you this morning, is that what you are doing? Are you living now just for now, for the next few days, for the next few weeks, for the next few months, for whatever season of life might be opening up to you at the moment. Is this life all absorbing or are you living for then? Because if Christ has been raised, you must live for then because you will be raised if you belong to him. Let's pray. It is a terrible thing, Heavenly Father, to be as Paul describes ignorant of God, we pause and recognize what an awful thing it is to live in your world, having been made by you, and to not know you, to not know your power or your love, to not recognize that all things are possible for you. Father, shine a bright light into the darkness of our hearts, illumine our understanding, so that in this dark world, we would live in light of your word, and we would be lights that shine brightly. And Father, for any of us here, where we might see that we are living for now and not taking the future seriously, please would you help us to repent. Please would you help us to change. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.